Welcome to The Yarn, a school library journal production. I'm Colby Sharp. Today's episode was recorded back in June of 2016 at the Ann Arbor Comics Arts Festival in front of a live audience. Welcome to The Yarn, a narrative of adventures. I'm your host, Colby Sharp. Many of us can point to a series that played a significant role in our reading journey. If you grew up in the 80s or 90s, you may have fallen in love with Judy Bloom's Fudge or Beverly Cleary's Ramona. Readers in their 20s can probably remember anxiously waiting for the next Harry Potter book to be released. Today's readers are falling in love with series like Ivy and Bean, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Captain Underpants, and Tom Engelberger's Origami Yoda. In our new series on the yarn, we'll explore some of Kid Lit's greatest series. We'll look at where the series began, their effects on children's literature, and the creator's process for making series that capture the hearts of readers. Wow, between that and the music, I'm starting to tear up. It's beautiful. It's very touching. So yeah, we have a new series all about series, which is weird to say, a series about series. We talked with Dave Pilkey in Chicago a couple of weeks ago, and we're excited to talk with you, Mr. Engelberger, so thank you for taking time. Hey, I'm very we happy appreciate to. appreciate it. I, by the way, readers picture me wearing my The Yarn t-shirt, which I brought all the way here to Michigan from Virginia, and then forgot to put on before this. We appreciate that. But I did bring it. I believe you. Uh, can you tell us, were there series that you loved when you were a young reader? Okay, well, uh, what you mentioned, Judy Bloom, you know, I loved Fudge and uh, the whole Fudge series, but also, you know, I hate, I hate to pick favorites, but Ramona, even more than Fudge. I loved Ramona because I identified with Ramona so clearly, and now that I'm older, uh, and I, I can go on at length on this subject, I... Um, I think that Ramona is probably the greatest portrayal of a kid with Asperger's ever written. It's perfect. Beverly Cleary completely got what a kid with Asperger's is all about. But Beverly Cleary did not know she was trying to capture a kid with Asperger's, which is why she was able to do it so well. There was no, oh, well, we need to have extra sympathy or we need to be extra gentle. No, it was a warts and all portrait of what it's like having Aspie, uh, being, uh, being an Aspie. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, Aspies drive other people crazy, just like Ramona drove Beezus crazy. And today, sometimes people who write about people with uh, Asperger's or some other um, quirk, uh, they're afraid to show the warts and afraid to show the negative side. But uh, Beverly Cleary let us see all of that. And instead of, uh, instead of that causing a problem, it just made us love Ramona even more. Wow. And you're a Lloyd Alexander fan. Now, Lloyd Alexander, um, I hit that around the fifth grade, and if you've ever seen the Book of Three, especially the copies that came out in the very early 80s, it's a picture of the, uh, the hero, Taryn, as this tiny little child on the front, and over top of him looming is this giant horse, and on top of the giant horse is the Skull King, who his head is a skull with uh, like antlers coming out of it. It's terrifying. It took me a long time to work up the nerve to read the book, you know, because the cover was so scary. It took me a long time to crack it open. And then the minute I cracked it open, and you start right off meeting Hen Wen and meeting uh, Kyle and Dalbin and 
what a fantastic series it is. And I just had the incredible honor to write an introduction for the 50th anniversary edition of book three, The Castle of Lear. What do you think it is about series that kids love so much? That's a good question. I think a good series, you love those characters, and so you're anxious to find out what happens to them next, but you're also just anxious to spend time with them again. Like, I was totally hooked on the three investigators. I read so many three investigators books, and part of the reason I read them was just one more chance to go back to the junkyard where Jupiter Jones had the clubhouse, and sometimes they would change the secret entrance to the clubhouse, and, you know, that just... I lit up every time I got to a, a new secret entrance for the clubhouse. The mysteries weren't always all that great. I just wanted to spend time with those kids again. So you had written a couple of books under a different name. Right. And then can you talk about where the idea started? For like Origami For Origami Yoda. When did, when was the first thing you put down or had the idea been in your head? Where did this begin? Okay. So uh, imagine me as a struggling really struggling author. I had been through a very tough period trying to get anybody to pay any attention to me, you know. And um, so I'm right in the middle of all this, and I'm constantly thinking, that's a great idea for a book. And then, nah, maybe not. That's a great idea for a book. Nah, maybe not. And then uh, I'm looking around on the internet, and I go to boingboing.com, and there's a picture of an origami Yoda uh, that's amazing. I've never seen anything like it. And it turns out it's by a Japanese paper folder named Fumiyaki Kawahata. He is a master at origami. He's not all that much into Star Wars. His big thing is dinosaurs. But he made a Yoda that was just spectacular. And if you ever see just people on Instagram going like, oh, man, check out this origami Yoda, that's almost always the one. And it amazes me that there are some people that haven't seen it. Because I saw it, it was like 10 years ago that I saw it for the first time. And the website had a link for the instructions. So I'm like, click, I want to make one. The instructions are impossible, okay? It's page after page after page of really difficult folds. And I'm simply not very good at origami. But I love origami. I've been doing it since I was a little kid. I love Star Wars. I needed this, right? So I decided, why don't I try to make a really simple one? And I had made some very simple origami before, so I just got a piece of paper. I made a really simple Yoda, and when it was done, it had a little opening in the bottom, and you could put your thumb in and use it as a finger puppet. And I'm sitting there at the kitchen counter, and Cece comes home. That's Cece Bell, my lovely wife. And uh, she comes home, and I'm like, look, Cece, it's origami Yoda. Force me with you. And I don't even remember what she said. She's usually pretty supportive. So she was probably like, yeah, that's, that's really nice or something. Um, but the fact that it was a finger puppet kept me from just putting it on a shelf or something because it was active, it was alive, you know, it had stuff to say. So then the question is, what would it say to people? And that's when I realized, as soon as that happened, that's when I realized I've got a story. And I was always looking for good stories, and I immediately recognized this is a good story. It's going to have a great cover. All you got to do is put this puppet on the cover. The title, Origami Yoda, everybody's going to know exactly what that means. And uh, for once, I was right about all those things. It did turn out. But 
the thing I was wrong about was I, um, I didn't see the whole series. All I saw was one story. This kid who's terrible at baseball, and he's a terrible sport about being terrible at baseball. And the reason that was in my head was because that was me. I was terrible at baseball, and I wanted to be good. And I would, you know, have a tantrum after I struck out. And I almost always struck out. And if I hit it, I was out at first. Every time. Why, did, why didn't I just realize that was my destiny? I needed advice from somebody really wise. Somebody like Origami Yoda, who could tell me, that's your destiny. You, you know, you haven't put in the work that the other players have put in. They're good because they worked hard. And you haven't worked hard. You're too busy throwing tantrums to work hard. I needed somebody to give me that kind of advice. And so I started rewriting my own childhood with Origami Yoda's help. And uh, the short story turned into a book, turned into seven books. And uh, I wasn't even expecting this, but it turned out to be two big story arcs that told one giant story arc, which is the story of two kids that don't get along, Dwight and Harvey, and them working out their issues through finger puppets. And the whole school ends up getting involved in it. But it's really just the story of this weird kid and this other weird kid. Uh, What's well, one thing that you made me think of when you talk about not being very good at origami? I've also heard you say you're not very good at drawing. And as a teacher of third graders... I'm not very good at writing books either. Very, no, I was But what it's interesting to me is as a teacher, I so often see kids not willing to do things that they don't think they're good at, even if they love it. So can you talk more about why you do things that you don't think you're very good at? Wow, that's a cool idea. Um... I, want to, I do want to tell a story, and I, part of me thinks I am good at telling stories. And so part of telling the story is figuring out what you need and what you don't need. And so instead of being like this author with this big imagination that sees everything, I feel much more like I'm a puzzle putter together. And I, that's the one thing I think I'm good at. I can see what the story is, I can spread out the pieces, and I can put them together to make the story. And I think that is, that is the one thing that I am good at. And so the writing, I'm not really good at words. I certainly don't write the kind of lyrical prose that wins a Newberry. Um, I'm not that good at the artwork, but it's the piece and it works as a piece. It doesn't work standing alone as artwork, but it works as a piece of the puzzle. Not very good at the origami, but for most of the books, it was good enough to be a piece. For Fortune Wookie, I had to get CC to uh, step in and help me out with the origami. But uh, for the others, uh, I was just good enough to make it. And so even though those things don't stand alone, nobody would say I'm an, you know, if I went to an origami convention, nobody would even look <laughs> at what I was doing. Um, so they don't always stand alone necessarily, but together they worked at, to fill the puzzle and the puzzle is the story that I wanted to tell. So you have this idea. The yarn that I wanted to spin. That's, that's well done. I like that. Uh, so you have this idea of a finger puppet Two boys who don't get along, retelling your childhood, and then do you, how do you pitch that? Like, how did that go? Like, did you just say, "Hey, I have this idea about a finger puppet," and they said, "Yes." And well, just ran. I had written the book. Okay. I had written the whole book, and uh, my agent had helped me shape it, and so we pitched that, and uh, the editor who is Susan Van Meter at Abrams. And um, actually, to tell you the truth, the first person to look at it rejected it. 
Um, I was given, it was one of these rejections, and a lot of authors get these, it's the rejection of, well, we won't publish this, but if you rewrote and changed everything about it, we would look at it again. And that's a really tough thing, because it's hard to get anybody to look at your work. And so, I mean, when you're a nobody, and uh, Sam Riddleberger, who had, had published two flops at that point, it was even harder. I was less than a nobody, you know? I was a somebody with the carrying the baggage of two flops. So part of me was like, well, I better do what this editor says. She says I should rewrite it and change everything, and then she'll look at it. Here's my chance for somebody to look at it. But I felt like I had it right. I felt like this is the way I want to tell it. This is what I want to tell. So my agent backed me up, and we took it to another editor, and she loved it, but she said, you know what? You realize Lucasfilm may not go for this. And so we were actually preparing for what if Lucasfilm doesn't go for it. We were uh, coming up with backups. I wanted to do Origami Einstein. Um, my editor kind of liked the idea of Origami Kung Fu Master, who has like uh, the Kung Fu Master's answer to everything, you know. And uh, meanwhile, I didn't know this, but the editor went ahead and sent the book to Lucasfilm. Uh, the lady at Lucasfilm who had to make the decision took it home and showed it to her kid, who was uh, about 12 years old at the time. And he read it, and it wasn't in great shape, and it didn't have pictures, and I'm not even sure it had an origami Yoda with it. But he read it, and he said, yeah, you should let him do it. And uh, so that was one of those big forces with me moments, because, you know, if he hadn't liked it, would be origami kung fu master would be a, another flop you know it would have been my third flop but instead uh, with yoda as this immediate opening you know immediate way to grab people's attention it just took off have, we need to meet this kid i need this kid needs to be in this episode i've i've met him he's a nice guy nice guy Did yeah you really, were you like thank you you changed my life yeah i was i was yeah, yeah. wow yeah um so I, what I, one thing that I have been fascinated by, especially with how busy you have become, is this community that you've created and facilitated and been a part of the super folder community. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. The way you interact with your readers, I think, has changed so many lives and changed the way, the possibilities that authors and kids can connect. So can you just talk a little bit about the evolution of the superfolders, how that started and how it's just become this like superfolder nation almost. Wow. Well, well what happens is um, it didn't take very long from, of course, the book has instructions in the back. So it didn't take very long for kids to want to show me the origami Yoda that they had made. And of course, I already had a, a blog to, to promote that. And so it was just very natural. Oh my gosh, look, everybody, I got a picture of a, a origami Yoda. And before long it was, you know, I've gotten the hundredth picture of an origami Yoda and then the thousandth. And then it was, well, look, uh, I read How to Make Origami Yoda and I changed it and I made Darth Vader. And this kid named Ben uh, from Canada sent me his plans for making, for adapting the origami Yoda to make Darth Vader. And I wrote back to him and I said, dude, this is better than the one that I have made because the one I've made was too complicated to put in instructions in the book. 
And I said, I'll put you in the book if you, if you let me use your plans. And so if you look in the back of Darth paper, there's a, there's a drawing of a kid named Ben who supposedly goes to the school, but he's really a real kid from Canada that, that made this. And it just kept on coming and kept on coming. And um, oddly enough, the f idea for Fortune Wookiee came from Jay Asher. Did you know that? He's not a, he wasn't a super folder, but he, he, threw, he threw me an idea. And it just kept on coming, and kids had this insatiable desire for more instructions. And then I found out they had an insatiable desire to draw their own instructions. So the website just became a place. Kids would send in their instructions. Other kids would make stuff based on the other kids' instructions. In many ways, I was out of the loop. And... Uh, it was awesome. They were just feeding off of each other. And I was feeding off of them. And we were just on fire for a couple of years. And uh, in fact, I've later I started to find out I had opened up too much. And the whole thing imploded. It blew up. Um, because it got too popular. There were kids on there all the time. They, were, they started arguing with each other. They would, they would, they would see uh, somebody would post one origami Yoda, and somebody would say something nasty about it. And so then somebody would say nasty about the somebody, and we had. It turns out we had opened up too much. So now we've drawn back a little bit. So now kids can still send in their stuff, and I can still post it and see it, and uh, we can still have little events and things. But we've we've had to calm down a little bit, and it's been very sad for me because I I lost that insane super folder energy that really was what powered me through those books because I was writing two books a year plus other projects plus traveling and yet the super folders had me so fired up all the time that I was able to keep it up I was able to keep it going and then the super folders thing exploded a few other changes happened new movies were coming out and it was just and my story was coming to an end. Dwight's story was coming to an end. So at the same time, it was just time to, to end things, you know. But what's great is new kids are finding the book. Because the, the original super folders, by the way, they're like high school. One of them just graduated from high school. So uh, they're gone now. New kids are finding it. New kids are coming to the site. And so this interaction with the super folders is continuing past the end of the series. And that's incredible. And now the energy they're giving me has got me wanting to do another book. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, wanting? that's unfortunately as far as it is right now. Yeah. Me wanting to do another book. And we're sort of back at the place again where, gee, does the editor want that? Does Lucasfilm want it? So, actually, <laughs> I don't know either. There's part of me that's... I've already got a box of stuff, uh, origami I've been folding, and, I, and a list of stuff I want to do. But I'm waiting for the, for the, for the go ahead. Do you miss the characters in the series? Do you miss writing these? Books? Oh yeah, Harvey. Harvey was so much fun to write. Harvey, I always knew what Harvey was going to say. Oddly enough, I don't necessarily miss writing about Dwight and Tommy and Kellen. I feel like I finished their story. I know where they are. They're okay. If I started writing about Dwight again, it would just be to give him new problems. And right now, he's good. So I'm, I kind of want to leave him alone. The characters I'm really dying to write about are Murky and Remy. Of course, you only know what this means if you've read the stories, but those are the characters that I feel like I didn't finish the story. So there are definitely some characters I'm really excited to get back to. 
Awesome. Uh, one other, one last question I wanted to ask: um, What books did you feel had to be published in order for Origami Yoda to be published? Like, what I mean is, what books had to lay that foundation right. for that type of book to be published? Right. Well, obviously, uh, if you know anything about me, Daniel Pinkwater is it's all about Daniel Pinkwater. He's so important to me. The the sense of the the, the humor and the craziness, those were the books that I, I that I just fell in love with when I was a kid. So those are always that was always my beginning point. But then um, Lewis Sacker's Sideways Stories. If you look at Sideways Stories in Origami Yoda, you'll see we were doing something very similar. Different characters get different chapters. Um, they uh, the books sort of diverge there, but that's Basically, I don't think if if um, I don't think if Sideways Stories had not been published, I'm not sure I would have thought that I could do Origami Yoda that way. So that book was absolutely absolutely vital. And then of course, Wimpy Kid just blazed a trail for so many of us. Uh, you know, my books, I just don't like the. I just don't know that I'm a good enough writer that you want to read my books without any pictures. You know what I mean? So I and I'm glad I'm glad for Origami Yoda they got to be my pictures. And I don't think if Wimpy Kid had been out there, I don't think somebody would have thought, oh, it's okay for Tom just draw all over the place, wherever he wants to just let him scribble all over the place. I don't think that would have been uh, I don't think anybody even would have thought of it. And so those are the those are the three authors that really made Origami Yoda possible. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, let's give a hand Tom Engelberger. Thanks, guys. A huge thank you to Tom Engelberger for being such a huge supporter of the yarn. Tom, you've been with us since the beginning. Thanks, man. You're awesome. Thank you to the entire Ann Arbor Comics Arts Festival. You guys put on one heck of an event. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Jersey, for setting this interview up. And finally, thank you, Philip Stead, for creating our theme song. I cannot wait for everyone to read your 2018 picture book, All the Animals Where I Live. It's pretty rad. For the Yarn Podcast, I'm Colby Sharp. Thanks for listening. But I do know that all of my books are distinguished contributions to children's literature. I agree. Especially the ones with the potty humor.